You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. You know, uh, sometimes you encounter good folks in life, good people that you meet, and you wonder how they could be this good-hearted or good-natured, particularly with all the junk that goes on in the world, whether it's pandemics, wars, or polarized politics. How is it that this person seems to rise above and be good in this challenging, even chaotic world? What's their real motivation? Well, believe it or not, some people, uh, really, their motivation is simply to do more good than harm, or better still, to leave the world a little better today than it was yesterday. That's a motto that's literally iterated every episode in the intro of this podcast. And I know in part that uh, the motivation behind some of the creations of my guest is for good rather than profit. So with that, I want to Uh, introduce Dennis Patoko. He's the founder, publisher, and editor-in-chief of the award-winning Life, Culture, and Business News Media Digest, Biz Catalyst 360. He's also the founder and chief encouragement officer of Good Works 360, an affiliated global nonprofit social impact enterprise. It's a mouthful. Dedicated to providing (laughs) mission-critical pro bono services. To, uh, to good nonprofits worldwide. He joins me right now from Tampa, Florida. Welcome, Dennis Patoko. Hi, Mark. Thanks. Uh, you said that much better than I could, uh, <laughs> because as we've talked in the past, we've got so much going on, but you've said that eloquently. You know, I've been on a lot of podcasts over the years. It's just, it's nice to, number one, have a conversation with someone like you, and number two, you're the first one I've been on so far away. Um, <laughs> well, yay. Ben versus Tampa, so neat. Yeah, yeah. In fact, it's uh, it's 10 p.m. here. It's uh, 9 a.m. where you are, right? Exactly. There you go. Well, let's I'll do, do my best to keep you awake though. This late for you. I'm good. I had a nap. <laughs> <laughs> let's do a little bit of personal backstory first. I think people would be interested in that. People who know about BizCat, we'll get to BizCatalyst later for people who don't know about that. Yeah. But the BizCatalyst folks that might listen to this. You're a bit of an enigma. There's not a lot about you on your bio, let's say yeah. on LinkedIn, but let me tell you what I know about you. And if where I get it wrong, fix me. Of course. <laughs> uh, grew up in Philadelphia or I know you were a bingo caller there for like 10 years. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Okay. I lived in Philadelphia though. And I was a bingo caller in, in Philadelphia. <laughs> so you grew up on the West side of Pennsylvania and moved to the East side. Exactly. Somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that was a function of my Air Force career. I ended up uh, joining in Pittsburgh. And ultimately, when I was discharged, they discharged me in Philadelphia. Ah, but your entire service in the Air Force was in Hawaii. Am I not? It was in Hawaii. Yes, I was defending the beach. It's <laughs> a tough job. Some, somebody's got <laughs> somebody had to do it. But I was in during Vietnam. It was an interesting time. And I was very fortunate to be where I was stationed and doing a job that I really, really loved at a very difficult time for America. Wow. Uh, but you, I guess, later or before that, later graduated from Columbia School of Broadcasting? Yeah, well, I, well, I'll give you the, I'll connect the dots. I grew up in Pittsburgh, left there at age 17, joined the Air Force. I was a family of eight children, Italian Catholic, a lot of kids. 
not a lot of money, very little opportunity, no opportunity for college. It just wasn't in the cards. So back then, Mark, our choice was to work at the steel mills or in some retail environment. Right. And I, along with my four brothers, each of us one by one joined the armed forces. At this point, our attention turned to what Dennis's career aspirations were. I was sure that, though grateful for his experience, he wanted something beyond a life in the Air Force. My career aspiration, if you said to me at age 17, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to get into radio and TV broadcasting. That was my passion. Because I was in Hawaii, because of the shifts I worked for the Air Force, I had an opportunity to go to school there. And I did graduate from Columbia School of Broadcasting. Life got in the way, like many things. I never went back to that and actually Mm -hmm. used that. And let me back up. 30 days before I left Hawaii, I was being discharged from the Air Force. Um, I was given a job offer at a local radio station. I mean, it was frustrating because I could have actually broken into the business. It was as you would expect. It was the midnight shift. <laughs> you're trying to break in, you'll take anything you can get. So I yeah. had to say no. And then life got in the way and I got discharged and life went on. And the closest I've come to broadcasting since then or a microphone was again, calling bingo for a Catholic bingo in Philadelphia for 10 years. <laughs> well, so, how did you meet? Okay. And your, your wife is from the UK, right? She is. Yes. Uh, and I'll jump Allie. ahead. Um, sure. Ultimately after landing after Philadelphia and uh, the reason I went to Philadelphia is the air force back then had a job placement program uh, to, for people with my type of skills to help us get a job as we were discharged, Mark. And I happened to be, placed at a finance company, not related to my background, but it was a job. Right. And I worked my way up, ultimately got into banking, rose to the higher ranks of banking across America, started a company here in Tampa, Florida. I'd, I'd been with, in banking for many, many years. It was one of those jobs, Mark, where you're doing what you don't really want to do, not really your passion, but it right. pays the bills. And over time, I became relatively good at it, but I never really enjoyed it. What I wanted to do is being an entrepreneur. So Dennis finally got to the point where he opened a mortgage company there in Tampa. The company was very successful, had expanded internationally into Canada, Australia, and the United Kingdom, eventually getting an offer from Citigroup and Lehman Brothers to buy out the entire operation, except for one fateful piece of the business located in England. And so a company, a bank, my name of Barclays stepped up and said, Dennis, we love what you're doing over here. You're living in Tampa. You got a great company over here. We're interested in partnering with you to buy it. But one condition, you've got to move here and run it. And since I had sold everything in Tampa, I said, you know, why not? I'm not going to give up my Tampa residence because I love Florida, but I'm going to go and see what happens. And I went over there built that company. Ultimately, my wife came to work for the company as one of our executives um, and we didn't have a relationship other than the professional few years right. down the road. I sold that company with Barclays to another company. I left, came back to Tampa. She was still there. So I was, as I've said to her many times, I've sold you with a company. Um, <laughs> but with, with all my relationships in banking, once I'm running something, I try to stay in touch with the people. So I stayed in touch with her and a number of other, my people, Mark, I would go back to England on a regular basis because I'd run a company there. I had some consulting assignments I bumped into and I would always meet with those folks. And ultimately uh, 
we were meeting probably for a couple of years, every so many months in London. And this is a, I'll make it quick. Um, one night, everybody showed up for, I'm sorry, we had five people coming to a meeting, gathering. It was just going to be drinks and catching up, uh, former employees. Everybody canceled except my wife and I. And as <laughs> I've said to many people, I knew her for many years. I saw her in many environments. But that night, because no one else was there, I actually saw her. Yeah. And we connected and we discovered things like senses of humor. Yeah. And uh, nine months later, we got married and she moved to Tampa. There you go. Wow. How long have you guys been married? 15 years. 15 years. Wow. That's awesome. It's a great story. Um, you know, now- we, both found, we both found what we weren't looking for, Mark, and that's the best way to describe it. Yeah. Well, I can relate to that in my own life. Um, well, let's, let's talk now about, I don't know what to call it. If I just say 360, if I say like yeah. biz catalyst 360, <laughs> uh, yeah. good works 360, yeah. you know, is there a sort of, what I want you to do is sort of explain the whole 360 universe sure. in a nutshell. Yeah, I will do that. And what you're just struggling with, there are many people have over the years because we've grown so fast and have so many different tentacles, just trying to figure out who we are and what we do became a challenge. So about three or four years ago, we created what we call an umbrella brand. And that was something, Mark, that everything could be tucked under. And that was 360 Nation. Okay. And under 360 Nation, you've got the global media digest that you mentioned called Biz Catalyst 360. You've got um, GoodWorks 360, which is our nonprofit foundation. And then you've got 360 Nation Studios, which we launched a few years back, which do um, what we call blockbuster video production. So we really have three things going on under one umbrella. It's just much easier on our website and beyond to call it 360 Nation. And then underneath that, people can see everything if they come to our website. Yeah, I didn't... Excuse me. I didn't realize until I started sort of diving into it because I, I thought everything was Biz Catalyst 360. Mm. That then is just the online magazine or the. That's right. That is the online publishing division, which we, as you, you're one of them. We have over 900 writers now around the world. Uh, we published about 28,000 articles. We won two awards, but that was all publishing, and we were nothing but publishing. I'd say until about four or five years ago. And then we started branching out because one of our labors of love personally, my wife and I is nonprofits Mm. and we were doing a lot of volunteering here in Tampa, Mark. And we were just doing whatever. And I mean, time, talent, and treasure. I don't mean just writing checks. We wanted to get in the mud and help people. Right. We had a real affinity for senior citizens. So we went down that path. We started delivering for meals on wheels about 12 years ago. I joined the board my wife volunteered in the office. Today, we're still delivering meals every single Tuesday to the same group of people. Uh, but we started realizing, you know, we've got this giant platform called Biz Catalyst. It's much bigger than we expected. It's got the ability uh, to touch people around the world in different ways. And then we were looking at our nonprofit world and saying, wait a minute, there's got to be a way we can take all the lessons we've learned from Biz Catalyst and the technology that we've learned and help nonprofits. So it turned out that Tampa was a great place to start. There are big companies there that will write big checks for a good cause. But Dennis kept asking, what about nonprofits in faraway places like Boise, Idaho or Mumbai, India? 
There might be the greatest nonprofits in the world filled with passion there, but they simply lack visibility. If others just knew they were there, they might write a check. They might even volunteer for them. He wanted to find a way to reach out and touch other nonprofits using everything he had learned so far in the nonprofit world. And that's where Good Works came from. We launched Good Works. The theory was this, and this was a theory that I went out to a bunch of nonprofit people I know and I said, here's what I want to do. Help me. And I said, I want to be able to say, using the technology that existed, this goes back about four years, I want to be able to say to any good nonprofit, and I mean good is the word that's underlined there, any good nonprofit anywhere in the world, if you need help, we will help you virtually, and there will never be a charge for our services. Now, that was a theory. But we also had the confidence that we knew enough good people through our biz catalyst, through our LinkedIn communities, through our Facebook community, that there was enough good talented people out there that would help us do that virtually. So we went out to them and said, look, here's what we're doing. Here's our mission. There's no money involved. And all we're asking of you is your time. Because a lot of people, and I spoke to these people one at a time. Today, we've got about four dozen top tier talented people around the world that have said to us, look, I can't necessarily deliver meals. I can't volunteer like you do, Dennis, because I've got other responsibilities. But what I do have to give is my time. So Dennis cataloged all of the skills people had and had offered into a massive spreadsheet. He ran GoodWorks 360 like a small business. So when it came to things like sales and marketing, social media, fundraising, GoodWorks 360 was way ahead of other nonprofits, which didn't have the experience and know-how that Dennis did uh, of running a business. Other nonprofits worked mostly on volunteers. In close to four years since the launch date, GoodWorks 360 has had over three dozen engagements with nonprofits, the furthest one being in Mumbai, India. I then asked Dennis, how and when did everything, the entire 360 Nation project, uh, originate? This Catalyst 360 was it's the it's the beginning of the story, and we launched that just over a decade ago. And the origins of that, um, I, I'd like to tell you there was a business plan, Mark. I'd like to tell you there's the grandiose vision. There wasn't. What happened was sold my company in UK. We got married, came back here, settled down, relatively young age, and we were blessed with something that very few people have at that age: choices. We could choose how we wanted to spend our time. So we looked around and we said, you know, what do we enjoy? We took a lot of, we take a morning walk every morning uh, year round. And we started talking about how do we spend our time? How do we give back? And that's when we decided three things. We wanted to do more work in a nonprofit community. At that time, since we were both in businesses, we had the desire, but we didn't have the time. So we started down that path of volunteering, as I mentioned earlier. Um, we wanted to travel. Now, as you know, in business, you do a lot of traveling. We both had done traveling independently around the world, but it's not what I would call intentional travel. It's the <laughs> airport, the meeting right. room, the taxi. I can tell you, for example, I've been to uh, South Korea, but I can't tell you anything about it because right. in my banking world, I traveled everywhere. So we both said, look, now we're going to circle the map and we're going to exclude America. Frankly, we're going to go outside America, discover the world intentionally, right. go places that are interesting, 
And then when we're told and tired to travel that, we're going to travel America. Now I got to put the pandemic aside because that put a quash on some of our travel. Of course. But we started on traveling. We were doing nonprofits. And the third thing we said, like everybody says, when they're theoretically retired, we want to keep our mind active. Well, we weren't going to do crossword puzzles. We weren't <laughs> going to do pickle pickleball. So we decided we're going to, I decided, and my wife kind of came along for the ride. I said, I'm going to start a website. I, and I've got no technical background, but I have an idea because in the years that I was in business, I spent a lot of time on the internet. So did she. And we're frustrated by the fact that, you know, we're constantly looking, researching and we're finding websites, but there's pop-ups in our face. There's sales pitches, there's stale information. The writing is questionable. Some of it's promotion. I said, I want to build a website that I wouldn't mind visiting every morning. So he did. He also approached several writers from major publications and asked them, where are the headaches? What, what frustrates you as a writer? And many of them wrote for Forbes because I was more of a business guy back then. And they were writing for Forbes. Many of them wrote for the Huffington Post. And um, I said, tell me where the bumps in the road are. And they went down this long list of shackles that are placed on writers when you write for those big magazines, if you will. Mm -hmm. So we went back and said, look, we're going to create this environment where the writer comes first. And I want to get to the point that I can say to people like Mark Reed, Mark, if you're going to write for us, all you need to do is write. We're going to do the publishing. We're going to do the imaging. We're going to do the editing. And Mark, I don't care if it's 100 words or 2,000 words. There's no restrictions on that. There's no restrictions on how often you write. There's no restrictions on what you write about. Now, somebody told me a couple of years back, in the end, you created what they called a writer's nirvana. Because <laughs> what writer doesn't want to have the freedom? Um, well, I, anyhow, I, so we, we kind of broke the model of publishing. And we were blessed to be able to do that. And here's why we were able unlike any other organization that we're aware of that does what we do, um, there was no profit motive. You mentioned that. Right. So we didn't have an advertising or a board of directors that had to approve things and said, well, you can't do that. So we were afraid to just create and allow our writers to create with no economics. Um, and that has really fueled our growth over the years. It takes people some time to understand our model because everybody wants to know, well, how do you monetize that? Well, we don't. I've spent more time defending a positive than most people defend a negative, Mark. <laughs> that is because I'm but sure I'm, that, that does pop in people's minds. I will, because sure. in fact, I, you know, I'll say this. I, the first time I went onto the site, I'm, I'm very impressed. I was, I was super impressed. Like, okay, this is a, a very professional site where the, ads like where the advertising you know, <laughs> um, that's the first you know i'm looking at like what's what's the motivation where who's who's uh bankrolling <laughs> this and um and then i'm looking through the articles and i'm like well this is some good quality writing and uh you know and i'm looking at the variety and it's all over the place and, and when i say all over the place i don't mean it's disorganized i mean the you know uh yeah you know in fact i i wrote two articles and one one was about one had to do with sort of like uh, uh, it was the interpretation of truth, you know, sort of philosophical yes. in nature. And then the other one, it was a relationship one. Like, you know, how do you yep. make your relationship, your wife, your uh, <laughs> relationship with your wife work anyway? The, and those went into two different areas. So it is, it's organized, but you can find almost anything there. Here's my question about writing. What do you do when you get 
and I know the obvious answer to this is going to be, well, we just don't publish it, but what happens when you get bad writing or what happens when somebody submits something and it may not be bad writing. What if it's a bad idea? Like what if somebody has just put in, <laughs> submit something and it's because biz catalyst is not political. I mean, there are political leanings in some of the articles, but actually it, it can lean both ways. I've seen, you know, yep. I've seen it go different ways. What if you get something that's just overtly political or has some some specific religious agenda? Like what if the Westboro yeah. Baptist people wanted to write for this? <laughs> that question's come up a number of times. And I'm, I kind of, let me give it a couple angles on that because people, it kind of focuses on what our editorial policy is. You know, every publication seems to have some sort of a bias. Well, we don't. So how do you define it? You know, we looked at editorial policies 10 years ago and said, look, we don't want to pub, we don't want to have this long four page document saying what we won't do. So what we said is, here's what we will do. As long as it's not mean spirited, mm -hmm. as long as it's respectful, it's published, period. Now, you have to assume the grammar's there in the composition, and we run through some grammarly checks and all that, and we ask our writers to do that, but we trust that our writers know how to write. Um, to your point, though, our cup runneth over when it comes to content, and I'm talking about not just articles of every kind and every subject, but poetry, uh, podcast, uh, video cast, you name it, we're just going down all those paths. Um, we did a couple years back, interesting you bring it up because you talked about either political or opinions. We started getting some writers that uh, were coming to us. And let me tell you, I said we had 900 and some writers. I've spoken to every one of them. And I do that because I want to get acquainted. I don't want to be this guy hidden behind, like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. I want them to know me and I want them you know, know them. And I spoke to some of these writers coming on board. And I'm going to go back to when the pandemic started. Um, you know, we thought, Mark, things would slow down naturally because the world was kind of stopped. Right. And we repositioned ourselves and little did we know that it was just remarkable timing for us. But back to the point of writers, we had a number of writers that started approaching us and I'm talking, I'm looking at their credentials, Mark, and say, why in God's name would they come to us? I mean, these are world renowned journalists, writers, mm -hmm. and to a person, they kept saying the same thing, Dennis you folks will give us the freedom to write. We're up against this thing called censorship now. And as all, although our pieces are real and they're respectful and they're not mean-spirited, certain keywords are getting us rejected from traditional media publishing. So, and so I gave them the same speech on terms of our criteria, as long as it's mean-spirited, as long as it's respectful. But then we said to ourselves, where do we put this? It's not really life, it's not really business. So we launched a brand new channel. And if you go on our website, everything I talk about, if you go to our website and go along the top, there's a menu there. You can see all this stuff, but it's called Viewpoints 360. Yeah. And Viewpoints was created for people that want to have an opinion, want to get something off their chest. And it doesn't fit anywhere else, but we can publish it. So yeah. you go there if you want to read opinion pieces. And uh, that's become one of our busiest channels. And we're so just... As long as, long as someone's not writing like, obvious hate speech or something exactly. like that you know you're gonna put everyone's voice you know out there yes we are and you know it's funny we've never and this is i say this as the editor and the creator in twenty-eight thousand articles we've never had to send a piece back saying sorry this just doesn't work well dennis uh every episode i try to do a little segment called five minutes in I try to just give the listener down to earth advice that they can use uh, in, in their daily lives. Here's my, uh, my question for you. Here's the five minutes in for the folks. You got all this stuff going on. 
how do you stay motivated? <laughs> and what is your suggestion for all of us on just a practical day-to-day level to just stay motivated to keep going towards our goals? You know, there's a uh, quote that I always kind of lean on that gets gets us going every day. And, and there's two answers to your question. This quote kind of summarizes, and here's the quote. Faith is taking the first step when you don't see the whole staircase. Never have we, my wife Alan, I seen the whole staircase of what we're building, but we have faith and that faith came from people like you and the rest of the community that just lifts us up. It's a little comment here and there. It's an acknowledgement of a certain article. It's a new writer saying, isn't this wonderful? It's a good works connection through nonprofits. And you know, when you're just kind of moving along through every day and one person says one kind thing to you and you've seen the articles on kindness, it works. Yeah. And that inspires us to say, it always inspires us to go back to the drawing board and saying, what else can we do? We're sitting over this giant machine. We can amplify voices. How can we amplify it more? And that's where the ideas start coming down. And that morning walk saying, wow, now we're gonna do this. And very often, and I'll close with this thought, we got the faith because we don't see the whole staircase. When we launched our studios three years ago, we had never done a video in our lives. We didn't know how to do that, but we said, if we do this, it'll happen because we believe in good karma and we've got a lot of good people that will lift us up and help us. And that's exactly what happened. There you go. I like that answer. I mean, you you sort of have just have faith in the process and the journey itself. Right. Exactly. Well, uh, it's been a great journey here, and I really appreciate your time. Uh, folks, if you're listening, uh, Zen Sandwiches are basically a nonprofit, too. I'm not, I'm not yes. making any money just yet. <laughs> so uh, if you got three bucks lying around, which is nothing, you can help this show out by going to patreon.com slash Zen Sandwich. When you do that, I will mail you a postcard on washi. That's traditional Japanese paper that my wife and I make here. Uh, that's what we do for a living. And I'll send you that postcard to wherever you are in the world, and I'll give you a shout-out on the show. Dennis, thank you so much for your time. I I can't wait to see the next thing that you and Biz Catalyst and the whole 360 universe is going to do. Mark, thanks so much. I really enjoyed our discussion. Hopefully, this is the last time you hear this ad, because with Chime Checking Account, features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts. Or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals24. That's chime.com slash goals24. Chime feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details.